Praise God. Go with me to Isaiah 53. I'm going to grab my notes right now. Isaiah 53. This message is called The Empty Chair. It's a message on overcoming grief. Now, one of the things as we approach the holidays, or whether it's Thanksgiving and Christmas, the time of this recording, we're about to celebrate it Thanksgiving. But you may be watching and listening to us at another time, and it may not be the holiday season as we know it. It could be a special day coming up for your life, whether it's someone's birthday, whether it's Father's Day or Mother's Day, whether it's an anniversary, some other type of day. People may not know it's special, but you know it's special. And it's causing you to deal. It's not bringing up the best times for you because you're missing someone. You're, someone has passed in your life, maybe recently, maybe a long time ago. And these days bring the hard challenges to you because it seems like you begin to grieve all over again. And you imagine yourself going to the things you used to do, places you used to go, whether it's the holiday season, you know, the Thanksgiving table, the Christmas table, someplace, and you notice the empty chair. And you might think, well, just last year, they were sitting in that chair. Or just last week, they were sitting in that chair. Or just a month ago, they were right there. And you notice the empty chair, and it stirs up all types of emotions. But I want to share with you how to respond to the empty chair, not just during the holidays, but in any day. And every day so that you can overcome grief. Notice the language I use. I didn't say just deal with it. You know, try to ignore it. No. Overcome it. Let's go to Isaiah chapter 53. And if you're watching in some place where you can put something in the chat, just put the simple word overcome. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Overcome. Because when you talk about overcome, that means to have victory. You could have victory over grief, meaning grief does not win. Grief. Go ahead, put that in the chat. That's something else good to say. Grief will not win. Go ahead and say this. Say, grief will not win. You're going to overcome grief. Grief won't take you out. You are overcoming. So Isaiah 53, verse 1. We know Isaiah is seeing into the future and he's prophesying, speaking of Jesus hundreds of years before he arrived on the scene. And the prophet says, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness when we shall see him. There's no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Or if you have a Bible that you underline, underline that. Look at this phrase, a man of sorrows. Notice this next phrase, and acquainted with grief. Put that in the chat. After man of sorrows, put acquainted with grief. This is talking about Jesus. Now, we like to imagine Jesus in so many different ways, the scripture says, and all those are true. But it also calls him a man of sorrows. Acquainted with grief. He says, and we hid, it, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. So we see the scripture prophesying about Jesus, calls him a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. But notice, as we'll look into it later, it says he carried our sorrows and our griefs. So a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who carried our sorrows and our griefs. So let's give some definitions for Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, who carried our sorrows and our griefs. 
The word sorrows, yes, implies and means sorrow, but it also means mental and physical pain. Mental and physical pain. For those of you who've been with me a while, you've heard me use the scripture sharing about how we have promises of God concerning healing and promises of God concerning healing for our mind and peace for our mind. So that's why this is included in the word sorrows, but it also means grief. It also means grief. And the word griefs, yes, includes grief as we know it. It also includes sickness, disease, and anxiety. And so a lot of us believe that Jesus dealt with sickness and disease, that it's not his will for us to be sick. And if we believe that, and we should, we should also believe it's not his will for us to have anxiety or mental pain. But also, it's not his will for grief to overcome us. If we believe that Jesus doesn't want us to be overcome with sickness, disease, anxiety, and mental pain, we need to believe that Jesus doesn't want us to be overcome by grief as well. Let's go with me to Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17. Jesus, the man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, carried our sorrows and our griefs. He doesn't want us overcome with sickness and disease. He doesn't want us overcome with mental pain and anxiety. And he doesn't want us overcome with grief either. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, verse 18. I want to read it to you. It says, Wherefore in all things it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, speaking of Jesus, that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest. Jesus is our high priest. Pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to secure them or help them that are tempted. Now I'm going to skip to chapter 4, verse 14 and 16 and read it from the New Living Translation because it carries on this thought that I want to hammer in tonight. It says, so then since we have a great high priest who has entered heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to what we believe. This high priest of ours understands our weaknesses, for he faced all of the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. One of the reasons I shared, you know, this passage from Hebrews 2 and Hebrews 4, after I shared the passage about Jesus being a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, is I want you just to understand this. Jesus gets it. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, Jesus gets it. He does. Jesus gets it. Jesus understands you. He gets it. He understands grief and loss to the point that he was called a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. Because Jesus, in his earthly life, and his earthly ministry, dealt with grief. He experienced loss of loved ones. You know, we know for some, for, because of scripture, some that he experienced loss. You know, one of them we think about would be Joseph. Joseph was the man God entrusted to raise his son. And so Joseph did a tremendous job. Joseph is a man of honor. Joseph is a biblical hero we should look to admire because of his faith and his righteousness and his heart for God. But one of the things we do know just from studying scripture is somewhere between age 12 and age 30 of Jesus, somewhere between in those 18 years, Joseph died. And so whether it was in Jesus' teenage years or his 20s, the father who raised him, his earthly father, died. And just like it affects anyone, imagine how that affected Jesus. Yes, he's God, but he's also 100% man. And he dealt with the loss of his father and also dealt with stepping in and taking care of his mother. 
So imagine the different emotions that you would experience if that was your situation. Jesus experienced as well as the scripture says. He was just like us. He experienced things just like us. He is a faithful high priest. He can relate to us because he went through the same things that we go through on this planet. But also there's some other examples about Jesus grieving and dealing with grief. But before we get that, I want you to see Matthew chapter 11. Go with me to Matthew chapter 11 because Jesus gets it. If you haven't already put it in the chat, Jesus gets it. Jesus understands grief and loss because he experienced it as well. Notice what it says here in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 30. It says, come unto me, Jesus says, all you that labor and are heavy laden, all those people who are overburdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Now, when you talk about oxen being yoked together, they're right next to each other. So it's not just saying, take my yoke, just thinking, take my burden. It's like, no, we're going to be in this together. But the key phrase that we need to know tonight is a phrase that I always point to and says, and learn of me, meaning learn from me. Another translation says, watch how I do it. So go ahead, put that in the chat, say, learn of me or learn from me. Go ahead, put that in the chat, say, learn of me or learn from me or watch how I do it. Because it's really important for where we're going tonight. Jesus, for I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul, who's your mind, your will, and your emotions. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. So the key is learn of me, or learn from me, or watch how I do it. And so the thing is, it sounds weird, but step number one we're going to talk about tonight, the first thing is grieve like Jesus. Go ahead, put it in the chat. Say grieve like Jesus. And that's something so foreign to most of us because we don't picture Jesus ever having to grieve. But if you're going to want to overcome grief, you're going to have to learn to grieve like Jesus. So go ahead, put it in that chat. Say grieve like Jesus. Now I want you to say it out loud because you know it's challenging some of you's religious notions about Jesus. Say grieve like Jesus. Put it in the chat, but I want you to say it out loud. Now if you're around people, you can't say it real loud. You can say it under your breath. But if you're in a place where you can just say it, say it. Say grieve like Jesus. Or say this way, if I want to overcome grief, I have to grieve like Jesus. If I want to overcome grief, I have to grieve like Jesus. One more time. Say, if I want to overcome grief, I have to grieve like Jesus. So let's look at how the scripture shows us that Jesus grieved. Go with me to Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. Now, when you study out Mark chapter 6, verse 30, and the other comparison accounts in the Gospels, it's a very mixed time for Jesus here in Mark chapter 6, verse 30, because he sent out his apostles, and they came back, and they had tremendous success preaching the gospel, healing the sick, bringing deliverance to people, tremendous success. It was so successful that when they came back to where Jesus was, and they had all gathered together, they're trying to have a meal, sharing with Jesus all the wonderful things, but they couldn't even have a meal together because people were constantly interrupting. Some people who saw Jesus' ministry, some people who saw the 12 ministry, people were flocking them. They couldn't even finish a meal. And so these reports are coming in. These are wonderful reports that Jesus would be excited about that he's thrilled about. And we see from the Gospels he was. Well, at the same time, he received the report that his cousin, John the Baptist, was murdered. He was beheaded while he was in prison, making a stand for righteousness. And if you want to dive even into that, remember Jesus and John the Baptist are cousins. John the Baptist is a couple months older than Jesus. 
We knew how close that their mothers were. We knew that both of them had supernatural births. We know that they were connected in ministry, not just because of their family relationship, but because of the plan of God. We also know that near the end of John's life, it seems as their relationship was strained because John the Baptist fully expected that his cousin, the Messiah, was going to break him out of jail. And after he'd been in jail for a while, he sent two disciples to Jesus and said, hey, are you the one or should we look for another? Because John the Baptist was expecting Jesus to intervene in a way that he really expected. If he's a Messiah, he should do this for me. Hey, he's my cousin. He should do this for me. This is what he expected. This is what he thought would happen. And Jesus responded, go and tell John again, meaning they've had this conversation before. And people like to look at that passage, oh, John was just being really spiritual. He just really wanted to know. No, John already knew. Because when you read his testimony in John chapter one, and you read it in the other gospels, the father told him, the one, the Messiah is the one who you see the Holy Spirit remain on. And he saw that with Jesus and he testified, this is the lamb of God. This is the one God has said. He knew fully well who Jesus was, but now he's in prison not broken out like he thought he'd be broken out, stuck in a situation he wanted to be in. And he's offended. So well, how do you know John the Baptist is offended? Jesus said at the end, before the, as the disciples of John were leaving, he says, blessed is he who is not offended in me. So the relationship is strength. It's not where Jesus wants it to be. And I'm sure it's not where John wants it to be. And in the midst of that, John is decapitated. So imagine all the emotions you would feel if a loved one, not just any loved one, someone you were close with, someone you grew up with, someone you also, a family member you worked with and that you had success together with and that you were close to. And then at a certain time, that relationship began to be strained and before it was fully restored, they died. How would you feel? What would be going through your mind, your heart, your emotions? The same thing is happening to Jesus. And in the midst of that, he's getting all these great reports from his apostles. So what did Jesus do? Did he just tell everybody, leave me alone? No. Mark chapter 6, verse 30. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by ship privately. So yes, Jesus did get away from a crowd, but notice he was still grieving and celebrating in the midst of community. Let's look at the story of Lazarus because Lazarus is another famous example. Now, one of the things we know from reading John 11 and studying John chapter 11, Jesus knew he was going to raise Lazarus from the dead. That's what the father sent him to do. He had shared it with the apostles. He said, this is why I'm going. He said, I'm going to wake him up. And they had to speak plainly. It's like, no, he's died. I'm about to go raise him from the dead. Jesus fully knew what he was about to do. But I want you to see Jesus in John chapter 11, starting with verse 33. When Jesus therefore saw her weeping and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. He's emotional right now. Different translation says he was angry on the inside. He was disturbed on the inside. He was bothered. Jesus is emotional right now. This is what the scriptures told him. And he said, where have you laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. And what did Jesus do? He wept. The Messiah, the son of God, 100% man, 100% God, our high priest, who fully knew he was about to raise Lazarus from the dead when he saw the grave of his friend. Because Jesus had friends and Lazarus was one of his friends. When he saw the grave of his friend, 
he broke down and began to cry. Even though he knew what God was about to do, he still had emotions. This lets me know that you can be in faith and still have emotions. You can be in faith and still weep. You can be in faith and still cry. Faith does not take away your emotions. Jesus, knowing fully what he was about to do, was emotional, bothered on the inside, and wept. And it wasn't just a tear. Because it was just a tear, people may not have noticed it. It was a visible enough reaction that the Jews said, behold how he loved them. And some of them said, could not this man, which opened the eyes of the blind, have caused that even this man should not have died? Jesus, therefore, again, groaning himself, still troubled on the inside, came to the grave. It was a cave and a stone lay upon it. Jesus said, take ye away the stone. Martha, the sister of him that was dead, said unto him, Lord, by this time he stinks, for he's been dead four days. Jesus said unto her, set I not unto you that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God. Then they took away the stone from the place where the dead was laid. And Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. And I know that you always hear me, but because of the people which stand by, I said it, that they may believe that you sent me. So now Jesus is about to do what the Father told him to do. He knows he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead. He knows what the Father told him to do. Jesus already prayed about it. When this happened, he turned to prayer and the Father told him what to do. But I want you to see that although Jesus knew how it was going to turn out, he still had emotions. We're talking about grieving like Jesus if we're going to overcome grief. Now go to Mark chapter 14, verse 34. I want to show you more about how does Jesus deal with grief and sorrow. Mark chapter 14, verse 34, because sometimes, you know, when we think about Jesus, we imagine him. We say, yes, he's 100% God, you know, lived as a man, but we want to take away the emotions that come with our humanity because we say we can't imagine Jesus dealing with and grappling with these things. But the scripture clearly tells us he did, and Jesus himself would even talk about it. You see this here in Mark chapter 14. He's going to the garden. He's about to be crucified. He's dealing with the weight of what he's about to do and what he's about to encounter, the suffering he's about to endure. And Mark chapter 14, verse 32, it says, Then they came to a place which was named Gethsemane, and he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him, and he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. We're just going to stay here watch and pray. But notice, he knew what he's about to go through. He didn't say, okay, I must leave y'all here at the Last Supper. I'm going to go by myself. He took his crew with him, had the majority of the crew stay in one place, then took Peter, James, and John with them, and he had them stay right here. They walked just a little bit further and began to pray. What is something we notice from the story of John the Baptist, from the story of Lazarus, and from here, right here in Mark 14? Jesus dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. Jesus dealt with grief and sorrow with the, in the context of community. Because we really think if anybody had the right to be by themselves and be a loner because he didn't want to deal with people, it would be Jesus. But he dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. Why do we see that? When John the Baptist died, he just said, I'm going to go away by myself. He took the apostles with him. When Lazarus died, he's in the midst of people. And what do we see Jesus do? Turn to prayer. And in Mark chapter 14, he takes his disciples with them and he begins to pray. So Jesus dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. And Jesus constantly turned to prayer during these times. 
So two important things to learn how to grieve like Jesus. Jesus said, watch me, watch how I do it. He dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. Go ahead and put that in chat. He dealt with the grief and sorrow within the context of community. And he constantly turned to prayer during these times. Because a lot of times, well, he's the son of God. He didn't have to pray. No, that's completely untrue. That is not what Jesus taught. That's not what he exemplified. He would always turn to prayer. And he also did things in the midst of community. Because I know people like to see Jesus as a hermit. Well, he went off to pray. But then, yes, he went off to pray and he came back to community. He would go away to pray during the night and then he came back to community. If Jesus did life within community, why would we think that we don't do life within community? We need each other. We need each other. We're supposed to do life together. So Jesus dealt with grief and sorrow in the context of community. And Jesus constantly turned to prayer during these times. And we must follow his example. Don't isolate yourself during times of grief. Don't do it. You know, one of the things, you know, just in life and then as a pastor, I've seen people do it and it doesn't turn out right. Don't isolate yourself during times of grief. It doesn't turn out right because it's not how you're supposed to do it. You need your community. Grieve in the midst of your community, in the midst of your faith family, in the midst of the people God has put in your life. Let people in. I know in times of my own life, grieving different things that have happened, that I know the difference of when I would shut people out. And I was sharing this with a group of people this week that, you know, I was grieving and I, you know, I didn't know how to process or even open up. So I was shutting people out and it slowed down my healing process. And know the difference of when I've let people in and how my healing process accelerated. Don't shut people out while you're grieving. Let people in. Don't shut them out. Connect with your pastor, ministry team, counselors, therapists, family, friends. In other words, don't do this by yourself. Put that in the chat. Say, don't do this by yourself. Don't do it. I don't care how strong you think you are, how much of an internal person you think you are, how much of an introvert you think you are, how much of a hermit you think you are. No, it's not going to work out right if you do it by yourself because that's not the model Jesus set for us. It is not the biblical command either. We have to do life. And part of life sometimes is grieving. And we have to do that in the midst of community. In the midst of those God has called us to do life with. And then we have to do what Jesus did. We have to turn to prayer. We have to. Consistently and constantly, not just in the morning. Because it's great to start your day in prayer, and you should. But how many know that throughout the day stuff can happen? And do, does that mean you got to wait till tomorrow morning to pray about? No, you have to constantly turn to prayer. And that doesn't mean you can just always just, you know, stop everything you're doing and find somewhere and lay on the floor and pray. Those, those times are great. But you know what? Wherever you are, you can always turn towards him. Because Jesus said, come unto, you, come unto him, those who are weary and overwhelmed. And he said, well, how do I come to him? Just turn to him in your heart. Father, I'm here. Father, I need your help. Father, I'm struggling right now. Father, I need your comfort right now. Turn to him constantly, consistently, continually, as often as you need it. You must turn to him. This is the example Jesus set for us. He did, he did life in the midst of community. He grieved and dealt with sorrow in the midst of community. And he constantly turned to God in prayer. As you turn to prayer, like Jesus exemplified, 
Let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. Go back with me to Isaiah 53, verse 4. As you turn to prayer, let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. Go ahead, put that in the chat. Say, let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. Let Jesus carry the weight of your grief. Remember, he said you're yoked together. And the thing is, when two oxen are unequally yoked, it's the strong one that suffers. But when Jesus says, who is the strong one? Who is the almighty one? He said, you're yoked together with me. I can take it. See, in any other situation, in the human context, or any situation, if you're yoked together with someone who's not as strong with you, the strong one's going to suffer and it's going to bring harm to them. But Jesus says, I can take it. I can deal with it. So take my yoke. And then even when it talks about care and anxiety, he says, cast your care upon me. And so we also see in the context of the weight of grief, we're not supposed to carry the weight of grief. Jesus said, I'm going to carry it for you. As you read already in Isaiah 53, verse 4, surely he has borne our griefs or carried our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. Jesus carried your grief. Go ahead and put that in the chat. Say, Jesus carried my grief. Put that in the chat. Say, Jesus carried my grief. And say that out loud with me as you put it in the chat. Say, Jesus carried my grief. Since Jesus carried your grief, and he did, do not pick up that weight. Grief is too heavy for you to carry alone. I'll say that again. Grief is too heavy for you to carry alone, and it's too heavy for you to carry Period. It's too heavy for you. You know what happens if you carry something that's too heavy for you over a long period of time? It'll break you down. It'll cause you have injury. Just in the natural, physical, you carry something that you shouldn't be carrying that's too heavy, that you're not prepared to carry. It's going to hurt you. It's going to cause you to break down. It's going to cause you to have issues. And sometimes those issues don't even show up immediately. They show up years later down the road because you weren't carrying something properly. You're carrying something you never should have carried. And then all of a sudden this problem pops up, some issue in your body or your spine or your muscles or whatever it is because you're carrying something you had no business carrying. It's the same way with carrying things that Jesus wants to carry for you. It's not yours to carry. Don't pick up that weight. He put the weight of your grief on his shoulders because he can carry it. You are yoked together and you're going through this together. You're going through the stages and the process of grief together. So that means you can go through the process of grief, all the different stages, all the different things that come with it, all the different parts that go with it and not be overwhelmed by the burden of grief. See what happens to so many people is they get caught up in grief and they become overwhelmed. They become burdened. They become weighed down by the weight of the grief. And it's hard for them to even go to the process and even deal with things in a healthy way because they're weighed down. And Jesus said, I'll carry the weight and I'll walk with you through the process. Whatever that process looks like, whether it's planning the home going and doing all the natural things you have to do when someone passes, whether it's going through the different emotions, the different things that is associated with losing a loved one, Jesus said, I'll carry the weight and I'll walk with you and go with you through this time. Why? He gets it. He understands it. He's been acquainted with it. And he handled it well. And he'll help you handle it well. This is how you overcome grief. By letting Jesus carry it. And walking with him 
through the process. Walk with him through the process. Go with me to Psalm 42. I want to show you how to overcome grief, how to let Jesus carry your grief because it's great in philosophy. sounds great, but I'm going to give you some steps on how to do it. We already shared. You don't do this by yourself. You do this in the midst of community and you consistently turn to prayer. Now we're going to share with you some steps on how you do it when you turn to prayer. So don't just say, well, I'm going to turn to prayer and I'm not going to talk to anybody. Nope, nope. I already talked about it. Do this in the midst of community. Don't isolate yourself. You know, one of the things I share with people when I counsel them through different things, maybe not just on the subject, but any matter. And, you know, some of them feel like, oh, man, pastor knows what I've been going through. So I'm going to skip church. Like, no, don't you dare skip church. I want to see your tail in that seat. You can even wave at me to make sure I see that you're in that seat. Or if you're watching online, I need you to comment some extra amen so I know that you're watching. Why? Making sure people don't disappear. Because what happens is people go through stuff and they become embarrassed and ashamed and the enemy gets in their mind. And they just said, you know what? I'm just going to, you know, leave. And, you know, I can do stuff about myself. And, you know, I've never seen it really work out well. For someone leave from the place they're supposed to be and isolate themselves. So well, I'm just going to work on me and they'll, you know, they'll spiritualize it. So it's just going to be me and Jesus. I'm going to pray. I'm going to get stronger. And I look back and it doesn't happen. Other things happen, but they don't heal the way they should. They don't go through the process the way they should. And you know, the life they become, it's more or less blessed. It's, they have had the best of God and overcome it, but now they're just struggling for the rest of their days because they've not processed it correctly. So don't just say, I'm going to handle in prayer and ignore everybody. No, do this in the midst of community and consistently turn to prayer as Jesus did. So Psalm 42, verse five, it says, why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you disquieted within me? Hope in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. Notice the first part, and he says it again in the psalm, and he says it again in the next psalm. Why are you cast down, O my soul? So this leads me to this point. Take inventory of your soul. Number one, put this in the chat. Take inventory of your soul. Take inventory of your soul, which is your mind, your will, and the control center of your emotions. How are you feeling? That means you got to stop long enough to examine yourself. Because what else I've seen happen with people lose loved ones. And just as a pastor, I watch. Now, there's certain people I already know or other people I'm watching for certain things. So they go through the process of the home going that some people begin to busy themselves like Martha did in the Gospels. They get really, really busy and they take up all these things on themselves and they keep moving. They never stop. They never grieve because they're carrying all these things, picking up all these things and staying busy. And they get to a point where after, you know, everybody's gone, the fried chicken's gone, all the potato salad people made is gone and they have nothing to busy themselves anymore. They're faced with the overwhelming burden because they didn't deal with it properly and they're not in the midst of community and they're not turning to prayer and they get weighed down. So you're going to have to take some time to stop and check on yourself. How are you feeling? What are you thinking about? What's really going on with you? And this especially happens to people who feel responsible for a lot of people, whether you're the patriarch or the matriarch of the family or you're the older sibling and you feel like it's my responsibility to take care of everybody. And you may have that responsibility. But you won't be able to take care of people if you don't take care of yourself. And I share that to a lot of people this week. If you do not take care of yourself, you won't be able to take care of anybody. If you don't take care of yourself, you won't be of any good to assist anybody. So you're going to have to examine yourself. You're going to have to take inventory of your soul. How's your mind? How's your mental health? How are your emotions? What's going on with you? So number one, take inventory of your soul. Don't ignore the emotions. Don't ignore the feelings. 
See, the presence of God is not a place you come in to, you know, ignore your emotions. It's the perfect place to process your emotions. That's why it says in this psalm and other places, like I poured out my soul before God. So you go before God in times of praise and worship like we had at the beginning of this experience, like we have every Sunday. Whether there's your personal time of praise and worship, you pour out your soul and say, God, this is how I'm feeling. This is what's going on in me. Don't ignore it. Except some people try to ignore their emotions and call it faith. No, that's fake. Faith is going before God, pouring out your emotions. That this is how I'm feeling. This is what I'm going through. This is where my mind is at. But faith says I'm not going to stay there. I'm going to grab onto the promises of God and I'm going to get back up again and move forward. That's faith. Ignoring your emotions and calling it faith is not faith. It's fake. Faith acknowledges what's going on but chooses to believe the word is greater. So faith acknowledges that you may be struggling right now. You may be hard for you to see that empty chair. And faith acknowledges that. But faith chooses, you know what? I'm going to grieve like Jesus. I'm going to grieve the midst of community. I'm going to consistently turn to prayer. And I'm going to do what the word says so that I can overcome grief. That's what faith does. So don't ignore the emotions and feelings. Confront them. Process them. Pour them out before God. And something else I've learned in my own life and I've advised others, don't allow the enemy to manipulate your emotions. Satan doesn't play fair. He'll look at times where you're going through and try to shoot an arrow to mess with your emotions. And so there's normal emotions associated with grief, but what happens if you don't handle them correctly, he'll send one of his harassing spirits to kind of stir up that emotion, to make it be a heightened form of it. And it's not someone, oh, they need deliverance, no. It's just the attack of the enemy that you're gonna to have to make a choice to overcome. Because what happens is, you know, some people will say, you know, just cry it out, get it out. But the thing is, if crying out is one thing, but if that doesn't end at some point, people will keep crying to the point where they have nothing left to cry. And then when everybody's gone and no one's watching them, they're empty and the enemy's able to run havoc on their lives. So yes, there is a place for tears and weeping. There's nothing wrong with that. But you have to grieve like Jesus. So that you're in a healthy place where the enemy cannot manipulate your emotions. Where you recognize like, now nah, I'm not giving in to the enemy's lies. I'm not giving in to deceitful emotions. I'm going to analyze my emotions, how I'm feeling, what I'm going through. I'm going to pour it out before God. I'm going to take inventory of my soul. And I'm going to choose by faith and deal with it healthy in the context of community and by constantly turning to prayer. Let's go to Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Number two, as necessary, it's not mine apply to everyone, but mine apply to you. As necessary, let yourself off the hook. Let yourself off the hook. Forgive yourself. Don't condemn yourself. You might say, well, how does that connect to grieving? Because... It depends on how that person left. You see, they may have left in a good way, but you know, as time goes on, it's like, man, I wish I spent more time with them. Oh, why didn't I go hang out with them more? Why didn't I call them more? You know, whether it's a good way they left or a bad way they left, a dramatic way, a normal way, people deal with feelings of guilt. It's like, well, what if I did this? Or what if I helped more? Where they've been here longer? Different situations, and I've advised people even this week, let yourself off the hook. It is not your fault. Don't feel guilty. Don't condemn yourself. 
Because what happens is that becomes a trap that the enemy will like to manipulate. Well, you feel bad. You feel guilty about all these different things like, oh, I should have spent more time with them. Oh, I should have called them more. Oh, I should have done this more. Oh, I should have done this more. And it's not something, a thought that's going to say, you know what? From now on, I'm going to do this better. It's not those type of thoughts. It's the thoughts of making you wallow in condemnation, making you feel bad about yourself, keeping you from moving forward. I'm not talking about, you, say, you know what? I didn't do this as well as I should. I'm going to make some changes and do it better going forward. I'm not talking about those thoughts. I'm talking about the thoughts like, man, I just feel so bad. I should have done more. And you condemn yourself, you judge yourself, you become guilty, and you're suffering on the inside. But you say, well, I can't let no people I feel guilty. And so I'm going to put on this face and smile, make people think I'm good and I'm grieving correctly. No. If you're condemning yourself and judging yourself, you're not grieving correctly. You're not. So that's why I say, as necessary, let yourself off the hook. Don't condemn yourself. Forgive yourself. Even if you should have spent more time with them. Even if you know some things you should have done better. Forgive yourself, just like God has forgiven you. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Something else very important that I learned. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29. Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. Depending on the way a person left, whether it was sudden, whether it's planned, whether the certain type of way they left, it usually brings a lot of questions. And people wonder about those questions. They pray about those questions, but not all of those questions will God answer because sometimes it's just not our business. As the scripture says, the secret things belong to the Lord. And so number three is solely I don't know. Solely I don't know. Because we can get lost and fall into pits going, well, why did this happen? Well, why, you know, I was believing for one thing. I was praying for one thing. I know they were praying for one thing. Why did this not happen the way that it should, you know, the way they're praying, the way they're believing? Why, why, why? There's a whole lot of I don't knows. And if you stay in the I don't know and you don't find resolution, you'll fall in sometimes condemnation. You'll fall into fear. You'll fall into places of pain and hurt. And you won't handle grief correctly. You won't overcome grief. You'll be stuck in it because now you're thinking that I don't know. And what happens, the enemy will come in and bring in deceit and try to pull you away from where you're supposed to be because your questions are not answered. And I learned this from watching some of my elders do it. And I've personally did it in my own life with grief and things that have happened. And I just didn't, I didn't know why. I don't know why it happened. It didn't seem like it should happen. Don't know why. Don't know what's going on. But I made the decision. I'm going to sow the I don't know. Father, I don't know what's going on. I don't know why this happened. This is not what I wanted. This is not what I see revealed in your word. I don't know why this happened, but I'm not going to stay on this. I'm going to give it to you. I'm going to place it on the altar, leave it before you, and count it as a seed, expecting harvest. That's what you have to do. Don't just leave it before God. Put it at the altar and count it as a seed, and that you expect a harvest of peace, a harvest of restoration, a harvest of wisdom, a harvest of comfort, a harvest of strength. You need a solely, I don't know, get, don't get caught in your head, especially you, those who are, you know, your planners, your mental people. You're always in your head. You get stuck in your head. You know who I'm talking to. Uh-uh. Solely, I don't know. Leave it before God. Well, how often do I need to do it? As often as you need to get out of your own head. Solely, I don't know. Leave it for, before God. Believe for his harvest of restoration and peace and comfort and move on. You know, the secret things belong to the Lord. There's some things you won't know in this life. So you can sow the I don't know and receive a harvest of God's comfort, wisdom, peace, and restoration. 
Let's go to Philippians chapter one, verse three, as I begin to bring this to close. I'm aware of time. Philippians chapter one, verse three. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. It says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. Sometimes when people are grieving, they don't want to even think about that person that they've who's passed, who's transitioned. They don't want to think about them. They don't want to talk about them because they're afraid if they think about them and talk about them, you know, they're going to enter into the spiral of grief. But here's what I want to encourage you to do. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. It's important. And one of the things I've learned to do, so when I think about people who are gone, who I miss, it may have been a couple years now. I still miss them. Just because they've been gone a while doesn't mean I don't miss them. You know, sometimes we think, oh man, I want to call so-and-so. Oh, I can't call them. They're not here anymore. So instead of being down, you embrace the good memories. And one of the things I've learned to do is like, man, Father, thank you for them. Thank you for the time I had with them. Oh, thank you for all the good times I had with them. I just turn to Thanksgiving. Don't ignore the good memories. Don't cancel the good memories. Don't think I can't think of anything. No, embrace the good memories and thank God for the time you had with them. So number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Now let's go to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. I'm looking from the New Living Translation. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 13. It says, And now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know what will happen to believers who have died so that you will not grieve like people who have no hope. One of the things we see from this passage, there's different ways of grieving. They're grieving for the people who aren't, who aren't believers. That believers who aren't people who aren't saved. The way they grieve is not the way we're supposed to grieve. Why? We're supposed to grieve with hope. Those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, they are to go through the process of grief with hope. It didn't say every grief. It says we're supposed to grieve with hope. Now, one of the things we see here, part of the hope is the return of the Lord. But also, it's a principle we have to understand. Hope is positive expectation of good. Hope is positive expectation of good. So if we're going to grieve like Jesus and overcome like overcome grief like Jesus and overcome grief and go through this process, we cannot let go of hope. We cannot let go of positive expectation of good. It's like what the psalmist said, I would have fainted unless I believed I would see the goodness of God in the land of living. I would have quit. I would have given up. I've been overwhelmed. If I did not believe, I'd see the goodness of God in the land of the living. You can't let go of hope. You have to hold on to hope. I remember a time in my life and I was in deep grief dealing with a lot of stuff. And I learned later I wasn't letting people in. That's why it slowed down my healing process. That's why I share with you, do it within the context of community. And it's taken me months to go through this process. And I remember one time I was, you know, I was working at the office. So I went to the grocery store across the street and was going to get some lunch. And I got back in the car and the Lord just said simply to my heart, I need you to go to the specific place. It's a place that my wife and I like to go on vacation. So I want you to go down there for your birthday. And here's why. You stop dreaming and I need you to dream again. In the midst of my grief, I had to let go of hope. I had stopped dreaming, not just in this one area, but in every area. And the Lord reminded me, he's like, no, you got to dream again. And I did what he said. I went to this place. My wife and I had a great time. And at that point, he began to, his favor and his kindness was just so apparent. He had set things up for us. And we had this such a favorable time that there was a time which is me and my wife in this place. 
outside. They were closing it down and no one else was bothering us, but they let us stay longer. And at this point, God began to deal with my heart to the point I began to dream again. It's important if you're going to grieve like Jesus and overcome grief, you cannot let go of hope. Hope is positive expectation of good. It's your dreams of the future. God-given dreams, you can't let that go. Grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. As has been said, you must keep hope alive. Don't stop dreaming. God's not done with you. Number six, choose joy. Number six, choose joy. You know, a lot of you know that I like coffee. You know, it, I drink coffee in a good amount. And so I opened a, a Starbucks application the other day and it said coffee and joy, Carrie. And I look at it, a Starbucks app is preaching to me. It said coffee and joy because today I'm choosing coffee. But also let me know, just like I can choose coffee, I can choose joy. See, in the midst of pouring your heart out before God and dealing with the emotions, instead of holding on to the sorrow as you pour it out, say, so you know what, I'm going to choose joy. It's a constant choice that you're going to have to make. It tells us in Psalm 34 and 5, Sing unto the Lord, O ye his saints, and give thanks at the remembrance of his holiness. For his anger endures but for a moment, and his favorite life weeping may endure for a night, but joy comes in the morning. Joy. Weeping is not going to last always. And the way you, you move forward is by choosing joy. It's a choice. And if you believe it's a fruit of the Spirit on the inside of you right now, you can choose joy no matter the situation. It is a choice. Sometimes it's a constant choice. And when dealing with grief, overcoming grief is going to be something you're going to have to choose in the midst of it. That doesn't mean you won't cry. doesn't mean you won't weep. It doesn't mean you won't miss them. But in the midst of that, you choose joy. In the midst of that, you embrace the good memories. In the midst of that, you offer thanksgiving. In the midst of that, you walk by faith and choose what the word says. And as you do those things, joy will rise up on the inside of you. It may not be what we call happiness. It's almost a calm feeling of joy. It's like, you know what? I can face tomorrow because he lives. Like that song goes and the, the scripture goes, because he lives, I can face tomorrow. You begin to say, like it says in the Old Testament, I know my Redeemer lives. It's this hope, this joy that's rising up that people don't understand. Well, how can they have hope and joy in the midst? Says, I don't get it. I see them crying. I see them grieving. But why do they have a better outlook for tomorrow? Why are they positive? It's that joy and that hope combo. Talks about the God of all hope, filling with all joy in believing. Joy and hope can come together and cause you not just to overcome, but move forward and expect the best out of life. But you're gonna to have to choose joy and you have to choose to never let go of hope. Number seven, as we close, let God comfort you because he is with you. Let God comfort you because he's with you. Number seven, let God comfort you because he's with you. Let me read these scriptures to you. Second Corinthians one, three through four in the New Living Translation. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all our comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. He's the God of all comfort, as it says in another translation. He's the source of all comfort, as it says here. And he comforts us in all of our troubles and all of our situations. He has comfort for us and he gives us the ability to comfort others. Then it says in Luke 4, 18, we talk about Jesus. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, the recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised. Jesus is anointed to heal your broken heart. 
That's where it's the healing. It means he'll bind up all the small pieces, vanishes back together. Your heart could have been crushed, as his word implies, because of the loss of the loved one, because of the grief you've endured. Jesus said, I'll put your heart back together again and I'll make it whole. Psalm 34, 18, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and he rescues those whose spirits are crushed. He's close. He'll rescue you. You might think, I don't even know how I'm going to get out of this pit. My heart's broken. I don't know how I'm going to move forward. He's near. He'll rescue you. You'll just have to turn to him. Let me give you these seven steps one more time. Remember, we do this in the midst of community. We do this in the midst of constantly turning to God in prayer, learning and following Jesus' example. Number one, take inventory of your soul. Number two, as necessary, let yourself off the hook. Forgive yourself. Don't condemn yourself. Number three, sow the I don't know. Number four, embrace the good memories and offer thanksgiving. Number five, grieve with hope. Never let go of hope. Number six, choose joy. Number seven, let God comfort you because he's with you. Now, before we go, I want to pray for you. Those of you who are grieving right now, those of you who are going through something, whether it's someone who passed recently, someone who passed a long time ago and you're struggling with it as you go into the holidays or just dealing with different things in your life, let me pray for you. I believe the Spirit of God who's in your room, who is the source of all comfort, is going to minister His comfort and His healing to your life. Let's pray. Father, I thank you because you are good and your mercy endures forever. I thank you that you're the God of all hope, that you're the God of all comfort, that you're the God of peace. We thank you that Jesus is anointed to heal our broken hearts. We thank you that you sent us the Holy Spirit, the comforter himself, who brings forth his comfort in our life. And I pray over all of those who are dealing with grief, who have broken hearts, wounded souls right now. I pray for the peace of God that passes all understanding to guard the heart and mind. I pray for the comfort of the Holy Ghost to flow into their rooms right now, to flow into their hearts, to flow into their minds, to flow into their will, to flow into their emotions. I pray for them to be enveloped in the peace of God, that they won't grieve like those who have no hope, but they'll grieve correctly. They'll follow the example of Jesus and that they will overcome grief. I speak victory in their life. I thank you that you always cause us the triumph, even in this area. I thank you that you always give us the victory, even in this area. So I speak victory over grief. I speak triumph over grief. I speak the joy that comes in the morning. I pray for the healing power of God and the comfort of God to be upon them. And Father, I pray that they become more aware of your love, your peace, and your comfort than ever before. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. This is what you're going to have tonight. This is what you're going to have the days going forward. The comfort of God. Follow the example of Jesus. Don't fall for the enemy's traps to make you stop doing the things you know to do to follow the example of Jesus. Don't fall for the enemy's traps to take you away from your community. You might say, oh, I don't want to deal with people. You know, people get on my nerves. Stop. Don't fall for the enemy's traps. Don't become offended. Do life with the community. Do this in the midst of the community. And constantly turn to prayer. Don't busy yourself to the point where you have no time to pray. Now, consistently and continually, not just in the morning or when you start your day, but throughout the day, turn to prayer.